big day in British Columbia. You're going to hear a lot about this today. This is the first day of a three-year pilot project that we're undertaking in this province that will decriminalize the possession of certain hard drugs. Why are we doing this? I know a lot of people are going to ask that question. Well, we're doing it because of the numbers, like the we just heard from, from the BC Coroner Service. 2,272 British Columbians lost their lives to toxic drugs in 2022. That is a lot. 189 people per month. Six people a day. And that means that since we declared this public health emergency back in April of 2016, We have lost 11,171 people. Those are the deaths that we know about, the ones that the coroner service knows about. And the chief coroner says these are preventable. And they are concerned that the drug supply is continually life-threatening and that it is toxic. And they say safe supply is the way to bring down these numbers. So... That's why they have embarked on this decriminalization effort. They're hoping to try to end the stigma associated with drug use so that people will reach out for help. That's a lot to unpack, right? Is this going to work? What do we know about this? Well, Benjamin Perrin is a law and policy expert known for shining a light on the opioid crisis, professor of law at the University of British Columbia's Peter A. Allard School of Law. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Okay, so what do you think about BC's experiment that we're embarking on today? Well, I'm, I'm really glad that we're starting to turn the page from um, over a century of a, of a failed experiment with drug prohibition, right? Um, criminalizing people who use drugs has, has not only failed, it's, uh, it's actually one of the precipitating causes of the current opioid crisis. Um, so we need to start treating um, substance use as a, as, a, as a health issue, not as a criminal justice one, right? Um, and that's what this is part of. It's part of a much broader suite of measures that, are, that need to be taken. You know, this on its own, though, uh, is, is obviously not the full uh, scope of what's required. Uh, as, as you mentioned a moment ago, all that this change does is means that the police can no longer either seize or criminally charge people for possessing small amounts of certain drugs. It, it doesn't uh, in any way replace those drugs, uh, those toxic contaminated street drugs with a safer supply. And that's, that's what needs to be rapidly scaled up as well. Right. Now, you've written about this. You had a book called Overdose, Heartbreak and Hope in Canada's Opioid Crisis. So maybe you can explain to people, Benjamin, this morning, the people who are wondering, how is this going to help? How is this going to help? Well, we know that the research shows that criminalizing people who use drugs causes them to do a couple of things. First of all, is if they're in an area that don't have a private residence, for example, there are folks who are who are experiencing homelessness or um, that sort of thing. It, it, criminalizing them causes them to use their drugs faster to avoid detection. That, that increases the overdose death. Uh, another one, um, criminalizing something encourages people to, to do it secretly or surreptitiously. And if you have an addiction, that means you have a compulsion, right? You're not able to stop using. And so if you criminalize that, it encourages people to use alone. And with a, a toxic contaminated street drug supply with, with fentanyl and other uh, potent synthetic opioids, that makes it significantly more likely that you will overdose and that you'll die. If there's no one there to, to, to help you, to provide uh, naloxone and, and emergency breathing for you or call 911, you're at a much greater risk of, of death. The, the other thing that we see is that people who get incarcerated uh, for whatever offense, if they have a substance use disorder, sending them to prison is the worst possible thing you could do. It First of all, it doesn't stop them from accessing drugs. You can still access drugs in prison. They're just horrific quality and and, uh, and, and come with a lot of violence and such. But people who are released from prison with a substance use disorder are 50 times, 
50, 50 times more likely to die. So when we send people to prison with substance use disorders, rather than providing them with support and treatment, we're actually, it's essentially like a death sentence for many of them. But you mentioned how this is one part of the equation. What about those other parts? Like, are we doing enough on those other parts? We're, we're not. Um, we need to we need to make it as easy or I would say easier for people who are addicted to drugs. I'm not talking about legalizing uh, these substances like, you know, having access like we do now to cannabis and alcohol, but simply providing people who are already addicted with a regulated uh, safer supply of these substances. Now, what do I mean by safer supply? It means that if you were in te- you're a drug user, you've been using for decades, you have a certain substance you use, that you'd be able to get that substance. That's not how it works right now. People who go to their dealer and say, I'm looking for, uh, for, for heroin or I'm looking for cocaine or I'm looking for ecstasy, they are playing Russian roulette. They don't know what's in there because of contamination. And that is what is killing people. Every street drug uh, that's out there, the police do uh, undercover drug buys and they test the drugs. Every single street drug has been found in this province of British Columbia to be contaminated with fentanyl. And, you know, what we're talking about is just a few grains of sand. That's enough between the difference between someone living and dying of a fatal overdose. So, you know, we cannot trust this to the criminal underworld to produce the substances people are going to use anyway. We need to provide them with a safer supply. Uh, Secondly, we have to rapidly increase um, uh, access to rapid evidence-based treatment. There are medications that can help people reduce the cravings of uh, opioid withdrawal, which are just debilitating from, from what I've heard directly from people. And we need to provide that access. Right now, it's still uh, a treatment system is still not fully in place in this province. And that's the thing. How do you, how do you get people into treatment? Because you hope that that is what is really going to make the difference. Well, I had an opportunity to meet with the Vancouver Coastal Health Decriminalization Lead, two really amazing folks who, um, you know, are very supportive, obviously, of this policy change. And one of their main jobs is actually running uh, running the hotline. It's a new hotline that's going to be advertised through um, Vancouver Coastal Health for people to get support and access. And and they're they're hoping people will call, and and I hope people will do too. But what we know about um, you know getting into recovery is that people have to be ready for that. Um, there's been some talk, you know, in the media about sort of forced treatment and forced recovery, you know, that's just a really hard edged way to try to, you know, make this problem go away, we think, but in fact, it doesn't work, right? People need to be ready. They need to have the options. And at the end of the day, you know, what I argue in, in my book overdose, the thing that really changed my heart and mind around this issue is we need to have more compassion for people using substances. And, you know, it's not just those people in the neighborhoods on the street. It's actually, in every um, in every area of our community throughout Vancouver, um, you know, I've seen the maps of uh, overdose deaths and overdose yeah. calls, and they are spread throughout the entire city. This is not a downtown east side problem. The reason you don't hear about it from your neighbors is because they're they're the stigma. They're ashamed and they're afraid of how people react if they find out that their their loved one died of an overdose. So instead, what do we hear? It's so and so died suddenly. I mean, I don't know about you, Sammy, but like, how many times have you heard? so-and-so is, you know, 35, 40 years old, 20 years old, they died suddenly. Nine, nine times out of 10, that's an yeah. overdose death, right? So, that is so the true. shame, the shame is what is preventing us from addressing this. We need to stop listening to politicians who demonize drug users. We need to realize they're our friends and family. And if we respond with some compassion, that is what opens the door. That's what brings the safety. They're not criminals anymore. These are our loved ones. Let's help them. Benjamin, thank you so much for your time this morning. I appreciate that. Thank you.